<clears throat> good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord on the first day of the week, and it's truly a blessing <clears throat> to see your smiling faces this morning and to have this time to share with you in, in worship and in, in prayer and study and of communion. We've, uh, we've been studying over the past couple of months the, uh, from the book of Daniel, and we're going to continue that study. We've, we've covered the first two chapters in the first two studies, and we're, gonna, we're going to uh, cover chapter three this morning. There we go. Um, <clears throat> thank Dusty for the reading of this morning from First Peter, which talks about the trial of fire that we face as Christians, uh, which may seem strange to us. It may be strange to, to think that we face a, a, a trial of fire, but uh, indeed that's what Peter said we will do. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that all who would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There is, a, uh, as a Christian, uh, the, Jesus said that the, it, don't think it's strange if the world hates you because the world hates me, Jesus said, and, and the servant is not greater than his master. So, if you, if you are a professing Christian, if we live a Christian life, we're going to face persecution from the world around us because we come, become a threat to those because we stand out as different. That's what the scripture tells us. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set up on a hill cannot be hidden. And uh, that's the way that our lives should be uh, as Christians. And this morning we're going to find uh, here in the book of Daniel a, uh, an example in the lives of the Jewish people uh, that kind of demonstrates that trial, and we'll draw some parallels to our lives as Christians as we go through uh, this morning. Uh, quick background, so um, God's purpose in Israel. You know, we go back to the beginning of the Bible, God's creation. We find that God created man, that man sinned. Then he fell from God's grace. He was separated from God, but God immediately began to prepare for Calvary. He began to point to the salvation that he would bring in the wor- into the world through Christ. And he began to reveal that to man in the, per- in the person of Abraham, who God made promises to, that he would make of his descendants a great nation, that he would give them a land that, uh, that they would inherit, and that through their descendants would come the Messiah, the blessing that would be unto all families of the earth. That God gave to Moses the law of Moses, or gave to the people of the children of Israel the law of Moses, which he, and he, when he gave it to them, he said, I declare unto you a blessing and a curse. He said, if you obey these things, it's going to be a blessing to you, and all that you do is going to prosper. But if you fail to obey, it's going to be to you a curse. And he de- detailed to them all of the difficulties that would come up upon them as a result of, the, of not obeying God, including he pointed to a time that basically they would go into exile, that they would serve a foreign, in a foreign king if they failed to keep the precepts of God. And we find that that's exactly what happened when we get uh, to the book of Daniel. Now, <clears throat> following the children of Israel entering the promised land, we find that they were, they were ruled by judges for 450 years, and following that, uh, they became a kingdom according to uh, their will because they, because they did not recognize God as their king. God gave them a king uh, through Samuel, and that first king that he gave them was Saul, which was followed by David, and then by Solomon, and then we know that the kingdom divided, and we see the history of God's people uh, separated from that time forward with the nations to the north being known as Israel 
and the tribes of the south being known as Judah. We see that there were prophecies of the Old Testament prophets, and we went through a lot of the prophecies of Isaiah recently, and Isaiah prophesied about this exile, this captivity that God's people were going to go into because they had become worse than the people that God had driven out of the land of Canaan before them. So these people who had been witnesses to the miraculous way that God had brought them out of Egyptian slavery and given them that promised land and drove out the inhabitants before them and given them his law and taught them about righteousness and how to live righteously, and they had forsaken all of that. It had actually become more wicked than the people that God had driven out. In fact, the the Bible says that uh, basically the land was going to vomit them out because of the, the wickedness that they had become, that they had forgotten their God. And God was going to let them go into captivity, and through that process, he was going to purge them of one of the greatest sins, kind of the base sin that led them into everything else, which was idolatry, worshiping something other than the true God. And so the, uh, the tribes to the north of Israel were taken into captivity by Assyria in 722 B.C. They would never return as a people. But God was going to preserve the, the tribes of Judah and of Benjamin, those that were known as Judah. <clears throat> Why? Because God was going to feel, fulfill the promises that he had made to both Abraham and to David that through their descendants, the Savior would come into the world. And so he was going to, although he took Judah into captivity allowed them to be taken captive in Babylon. He was going to preserve them, to bring them back, to restore the true worship of God and to prepare for the Messiah. So all of those things were in play. We see that Judah was taken captive by Babylon in approximately 605 B.C. And we talked about that in the first two chapters. And there were actually three different times that captives were taken. Ultimately, Jerusalem was destroyed in the final of those captivities, which was in approximately 586 B.C. But among the first captives who were taken were were Daniel and his fellows. And we looked at Daniel chapter 1, where Jerusalem was besieged, and they were instructed, those who, who took the city, to look out among the people, to find those among the youth, who would be able to serve in the king's palace. And he gave them specific descriptions of what these people, what these young men should be like. And so among those who were taken for this purpose were Daniel and his fellows that we know by their Babylonian names primarily as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we found in Daniel chapter 1 that one of the first challenges they face is they're going through these three years of training to serve in in the palace is that they are going to be fed the same food that the king himself eats. Now that would seem like that's pretty cool. You know, we're getting elevated status here. We get to eat from the king's table. But among those things that were from the king's table were things that they were forbidden as Jews to eat. And the scripture tells us that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with those things. And we see that he exercised wisdom and discernment in the way that he approached the Babylonians and how they were able to prove that through just eating vegetables that they would fare better through the power of God rather than eat those things that they were commanded not to eat according to the law of Moses and how God blessed them in this and how they came through that test um, 
and showed themselves more healthy than those who ate from the king's table, God being with them and God blessing them in their obedience and faithfulness to him. And when their period of the three years of training came to an end, they were brought before the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar found them more worthy, more valuable in in matters of understanding and wisdom than all of his counselors combined. He says they were ten times better. So we see the blessings of God. So God, again, is preserving his people. God, through the children of Israel, manifests himself to the world and to the people around the children of Israel of who he was through the children of Israel in the battles that they fought, that showing God's power and might and the way he preserved them. And he would do the same through, his faithful, through the faithful Jews who were, who were in captivity in Babylon. In chapter 2, we found an amazing chapter here where immediately after this time that they were in training and how they had proven their wisdom that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar the king a dream. And and Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by this dream because God had given it to him and because it was very um, dramatic and it was something that just stood in his mind and he had to find out what it meant. And so we remember how that he called all of his his uh, soothsayers and the uh, magicians and the sorcerers and the astrologers and the Chaldeans before him and said, I've had this dream and I need to know what it means. And so tell me what the dream was and then tell me what the interpretation is. And we remember that they said, nobody can do that. We can't read your mind. If you'll just tell us what the dream is, we'll tell you the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar said, no, I understand how this game you're playing. If I tell you the dream, you can make up anything to tell me what it means. But if you can tell me what the dream was, then I will know that you, whatever you tell me the interpretation is, is true. And nobody could do that. And so Nebuchadnezzar pronounced that if, it, if they couldn't do it, they should all be put to death. And so his, his soldiers go about to round up all of the, the wise men and the counselors to the king. And among those who they were rounding up, was Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they came to Daniel, Daniel asked them, what, what is the hurry, what's the urgency, and what, what has happened? And they explained to him about Nebuchadnezzar's dream and his desire to have it interpreted. And Daniel said, bring me before the king. Let me approach the king. And he, he got an audience before Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, he said, O king, he said, just give me some time, and I will tell you the dream and the interpretation and how... He and his fellows went back home and they prayed earnestly. And in the middle of the night, God revealed to Daniel what this dream was and what the interpretation was. He's brought back before Nebuchadnezzar. He declares the dream and the interpretation. And we remember that uh, this dream, this thing that that Nebuchadnezzar saw was this great image who had a head of gold and it it had a breast and arms of silver and and its midsection was of brass, and its legs were of iron, and of iron mixed with clay. And, and uh, so Daniel told him, he said, this is what you saw. And he saw a stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it hit, it struck the image on its feet, and it kind of dashed into pieces. And Daniel told him, he said, what you've seen, God is revealing to you, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, what is going to happen in the future. And what these, thing, what these things represent was a succession of kingdoms, the Babylonian Empire. He said, you are that head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the Babylonian Empire, but after you, there's going to come another kingdom that's going to be kind of the world power, and that was going to be the Medes and the Persians, who overtook Babylon in 539 B.C. 
And following that will be another kingdom, which was the Greek Empire, which was Alexander the Great that conquered basically the world around 330 B.C. and ruled until around 63 B.C. And following that would be the Roman Empire. Now, this, this succession of kingdoms, Daniel said, in the days of those final kings, God was going to establish a kingdom that would never be destroyed. And we talked about last month the fulfillment of that prophecy. This, this dream was a prophecy of these things that would come to pass, which we look in history, we see all these things come to pass. And we see the establishment of God's kingdom, the church, in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament during the days of the Roman Empire, the Roman kings. So after this, Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed that he promotes Daniel basically to become the uh, prime minister. He was second in command basically to Nebuchadnezzar. So this Jewish youth who was taken captivity because of God's presence with him and God's plan to preserve his people and his faithfulness to God has risen from a captive to now he is the prime minister. To Nebuchadnezzar and he also the scripture tells us he petitioned the king and he set Shadrach Meshach and Abednego over the fair of the affairs of the province of Babylon but Daniel sat in the gate of the king or he served he answered only to the king so so we see all these blessings and we see what what a great thing for Shadrach Meshach and Abednego but you know what we find is sometimes when it seems like we're Really flying high is when we really get hard with the trial of our faith, isn't it? When we, our faith gets tested. And that was true for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we're going to find here in chapter 3. So as we begin the Daniel, the third chapter, the scripture says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. And he set it in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So we remember that when... <laughs> When Daniel revealed to Nebuchadnezzar that dream, he said, you are that head of gold. Well, the scripture doesn't say this, but we kind of interpret this that, that he kind of took that to heart, didn't he? So Nebuchadnezzar thought, not only the head of gold, but I'm all of gold. So this image that Nebuchadnezzar has his people um, build, carve, overlay with gold, uh, is this just giant image that probably, the scripture doesn't tell us, but probably rec rec uh, represents Nebuchadnezzar himself. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar thought himself, because of the power that God had given to him, the scripture uh, describes him as a servant, the servant of God, through, who, through whom God would punish all the disobedient nations, including Israel, including Judah, around him. And uh, he had great, given great power to Nebuchadnezzar, and this had gone to Nebuchadnezzar's head. And Nebuchadnezzar thought himself basically as all-powerful. And so he, he has this image built that probably, the scripture, it could represent one of the deities of Babylon, but most likely it represents Nebuchadnezzar. And so he had it built, it was 90 feet tall, it was 9 feet wide, and it stood out there on the plain. And Nebuchadnezzar sent word together together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he had this image made, and now he was going to have a dedication ceremony. And so he calls for not all of the people, but for all the government officials. 
And who were the government officials there in Babylon? Among those were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they were among those who were called here to the dedication ceremony. So you have a dedication ceremony. You're setting something aside for a certain purpose. And the purpose of this dedication was so that the people would worship this image that Nebuchadnezzar had, uh, had, had made. So all these government officials, and that word satraps means a high officer or, or a prince, something that I was certainly not familiar with that term, but apparently that's what it means. Again, it was a government official. And they all came from all the provinces, and they gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made, had set up. And then a herald cried aloud, so all the people are gathered there, they're standing before this image, and the herald, the, the speaker, the master of ceremonies, he, he yells out to the crowd and he says, To you it is commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, at the time that you hear the sound of the horn and the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, and the symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So, Everybody listen, in a minute we're going to play some music. And when you hear that music start up, you're all going to fall down and you're going to worship this image. <clears throat> and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So they said, okay, you're going to fall down to worship. And by the way, if you don't fall down to worship, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. You're going to be burned to death. So um, there's your choices, right? And so it says all the people fell down. Well, not all the people fell down. So here's an artist's depiction of maybe what this looked like. There's the image. There's all the people falling down. But wait, there's a few people who didn't, aren't there? there are some who didn't fall down and worship according to the command of Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> and therefore, at that time, certain of the Chaldeans, and so these were the, the learned class the, uh, of the Babylonians, those, part of those counselors to the king, they came forward and accused the Jews. You know, one of the things that happened when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted, <clears throat> there was probably some thankfulness among those other counselors to the king because they were spared of being put to death because Daniel interpreted the king's dream and halted the executions but soon that turned to envy that jealousy because they had been promoted these Jews had been promoted to a place that they had held previously and they were envious of this and they were looking for opportunities basically to drop them in the grease we might say to accuse them and so when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down to the image, this did not go unnoticed. And immediately they saw an opportunity. Let's take these guys out of our way. Let's re restore our place before the king. And so they go before the king. And they say, You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not... Worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fire, the fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid regard to you. 
They do not serve your gods or the gold image which you have set up. So immediately go, they come before Nebuchadnezzar and they, guess what, Nebuchadnezzar? You know those guys that you promoted, those Jews? Guess what? They're not worshiping. They're not following your commands and worshiping. And you, saw, you told them that there were going to be consequences. So why wouldn't they fall down and worship? Right? I mean, they probably had every excuse. I mean, they're in a foreign land. They're, in a, they're serving a, uh, a, a despotic uh, tyrant of a king uh, who's, who's very cruel and, and, and harsh. And, you know, it would have been easy for them just to, you know, everybody else is doing it. You know what? I know what's in my heart, but I'm just going to go along because I want to save my skin. But they didn't. Why? <clears throat> Why did they not fall down and worship when everyone else did? Number one, it was a direct violation of God's law. You know, when we go back, <clears throat> when God gave the law to Moses... And we looked at the first two commandments that God gave them. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And that doesn't mean that you can have other gods, just make sure I'm first. It means you shall have no other gods in my presence. You, you shall have no other gods, period. You're not going to worship or serve anyone else but me because I am the true God. <clears throat> now why do you suppose, in the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself the carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor shall you serve them. God carved those commandments in stone. And the children of Israel carved those commandments into their hearts and into their minds. There was not a Jewish child who grew up who did not know those commandments. But why is that? Why were those the first two commandments? Because who knows human nature better than God? Who knows our um, nature to sin more than God? Who knows the weaknesses that we face more than God? Who knows the, challenge, the things that are going to be most challenging to us as His people than God? God said, this is, this is the you got to watch this. You've got to watch that you don't all of a sudden replace me with something else. Me with some image. Me with something that you worship or dedicate yourself more than me because that's going to end in your detriment. That's going to, be, that's going to draw you away. It will destroy you. For our own good, we need God. And we need to make sure that God is kept in His proper place. And that's the reason that the first two commandments revolve around our dedication to God in His rightful place in our lives. It is only in God that we find our purpose in life. It is only in God that we find true security. It is only in God that we find salvation. And when we try to find any of those things in any other thing, we've created an idol. We've created something in God's place. As the children of Israel be began to prepare to go into the land of Canaan and Joshua spoke to them in Joshua chapter 23, he told them to be courageous and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Lest you turn aside from the right hand or to the left. And lest you go among these nations whom remain among you. So that when you go out into the, to the promised land and you find your homes there and you are surrounded still, there are people around you who 
who are not your people, who worship other gods. He said, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not swear by them, nor bow down to them. You shall not hold fast, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done until this day. So the warning again was, don't be influenced by those people around you who are going to try to draw you into worshiping something besides the true God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not fall down to worship, number one, because they knew the commandments of God. And those were the first commandments of God, and that would have been a direct violation. Number two, it was ascribing devotion and worship that belongs only to God to something else. They knew in their hearts that that would be wrong, and it would be ascribing devotion and worship to something else. Listen to what Jesus said when he talked about the first commandments that we just talked about. He expounded on that to say the first of commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, and the Lord is one. And you shall love, listen, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. What, is, what did Jesus say? You love God with all your being. With all your being and all your devotion, you love God first and foremost and most. With every fiber of your being, you love God. <clears throat> To ascribe worship to something else was to replace, was to take that devotion, that love, that commitment to God and to ascribe it to something else. And they wouldn't do that. Number three, it was indicative of people turning away from the truth and love of God to their own detriment. When we turned our worship to something besides God, it is indication that we have turned away from God. You know, and... The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, the first chapter, goes into some detail about this. In verse 21 and 20 through 23, he says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God and were not thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. What was the first thing they did? They didn't recognize God as God. They did not place God in His proper place of being the only God, the, 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 uh, our our the one whom all of our devotion, our love, our strength, our mind, our body, our soul is dedicated to. He said they didn't glorify Him as God, and they weren't thankful. They lost the natural gratitude to God for all, all that He's given us. For He is the creator of the universe. He is the giver of life. He is the sustainer of life. He gives us everything we need. In this world, physically, He provides everything we need spiritually through His Son, Jesus Christ. And for that, we should be eternally grateful. But when people turn their heart away from God, they lose that thanksgiving. They lose sight of the things that they should be thankful for. They become futile in their thoughts. And their hearts are darkened. They become foolish. Professing themselves to to be wise, they became fools and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. As people forgot about God and they turned to their own ways, what did they do? They created their own gods. And they turned the eternal God into some image of something that that God created, like people. They worshipped themselves. They worshipped the beasts, the animals. They made this their image of God. And then they went... They declined further. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, verses 28 through 30, God gave them over to a debased mind, 
when you turn your heart from God, when you begin to worship other things, you're in a downward spiral. <clears throat> and it's going to lead you into fur further and further into wickedness, into evilness, into destroying yourselves. That's what God says. To do, to do those things that are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murders, deceit, strife, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do them, but also approve of those who practice them. So what was the first step? It was worshiping, it was replacing the worship of God with something else. It was putting something else in God's place, and that only leads to further and further uh, in a <clears throat> downward spiral of people. So why wouldn't they bow? They wouldn't, it was a direct violation of God's law. It demonstrated faith in something of, besides God. It was indicative of people who had turned away from the true love of God and their, to their own detriment. <laughs> It was turning away from God to, in turning, it was, it was turning away from God to idolatry that had led to their exile and captivity. It was those things specifically that had led them where they were because they had fallen into idolatry as a people. Not all of them. There was still a remnant who, who, who still worshiped God in spirit and in truth. But for the majority, they had fallen into idolatry. And that was the reason they were in Babylon to begin with. <clears throat> and now they were being compelled to do exactly what it was that God had told them not to do. And for the, the reason they had been exiled. And they said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do those things. God was going to purge them of that. And this story was a big part of the fact that 70 years later, when they returned to Jerusalem, idolatry was not a sin that was among them. In their time in Babylon, they were going to learn that, that there was nothing to idolatry, that, there was, that they had to put God in his proper place and not replace him with anything else. <sighs> Does idol worship exist today? Yes. <laughs> Human nature has not changed. The things that people replace God with have not changed. Now, we may not carve images, although there are people in the world today and other parts of the world that still do this. They carve images that they worship, etc. <clears throat> not in America. We have our own idols, right? Each, every culture has its own idols of things that they worship, that they place in God's place. Anything that we value greater than our relationship with God, anything that we look to for purpose, for security, for salvation, other than God, has become to us an idol. When you look at those idols of, of the Greeks, uh, when you look at the, the Greek gods, the things that they worship, what, did they, what were the things they represented? Although we may not carve an image, do we worship the same things or do people worship the same things that those images represented? Wealth, business, success, eloquence, skill, craftsmanship, sport, invention. Now, none of these things are evil of themselves, 
But when we elevate them to a position greater than what their intention was, when we become obsessed with those things, then they've replaced in our heart the place that God should rule in. They've replaced God in our hearts, and therefore they have become an idol. Love, beauty, sex, philosophy, poetry, music, the arts, war, violence, bloodshed. These are all those things that those images represented. The sun, the moon, the beauty of nature, marriage, family, wine, festivity, entertainment, ecstasy, self. (laughs) Maybe that's the biggest one that we elevate. But any of these things we can, a person can become obsessed with and, and people become, can become a, um, the thing of our worship, the, 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 uh, the um, yeah, whatever it is I'm trying to say, the thing that we worship instead of God. These things can become obsessive. And God warns us, don't do it. Don't allow these things to take preeminence in your life <clears throat> that will lead you down a destructive path. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them. He said, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image that I've set up? So they bring this word to Nebuchadnezzar. He calls them before him. Is it true that you're not doing this? He said, Now if you're ready... At the time that you hear the sound of the music and you fall down and worship the image that I've made, they will be good. But if you do not worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you from my hands? Who does Nebuchadnezzar think is almighty? Himself. And what does Nebuchadnezzar say? I'm sure it was a mistake that you didn't obey my commands, and so I'm going to give you another chance. And so when you hear the music, fall down and worship, but we'll forget all about this. But if you don't, Guess what? I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. <clears throat> you know what? <laughs> we, we don't get commands like that from a tyrant, at least not yet, uh, in the country in which we live. But, you know, we're bombarded constantly with images, with advertisement telling us that you need this. Your life is not fulfilled until you have this. You need this. This will, this, will, this will give you security. This will give you purpose. This will bring you satisfaction. You need this in your life, and without this in your life, you're going to be unfulfilled. Do we see that constantly bombarded by things of the world that the world is trying to draw us to? Absolutely. <clears throat> but ultimately, those things only lead us to disappointment and disillusionment. <clears throat> but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the burning furnace. Conform or else. Everybody else has done it. Everybody else is worshiping. You know, it takes courage to, to swim against the tide. It takes courage to stand up for the truth, to stand firm, to know the, the, promise, the, the uh, commandments and the promises of God and to stand fast in those things. And it is in times like this that we have to have courage. As Peter said, you're going to face, don't think it's strange when your faith is tried. Don't think it's strange when you go through a fiery trial because it's going to be difficult. You're going to feel pressure. You're going to feel uh, compelled to do something that you know you're not supposed to do, but stand firm in those times is what Peter says because through that, you're going to glorify God. You're going to rejoice in the end if you still stand firm 
through those times. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, or it produces hopeful endurance. As we, as we pass through the tests of our faith, as, as we endure those, time, those difficult times of persecution or trial, and we stand true to God, <clears throat> we become stronger. And as we faith, face stronger tests and stronger trials, we have hopeful endurance. We know that God is going to bring us through. Our, our faith is strengthened to do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need a second chance. We don't even need to discuss. Our mind is already made up. We've already made our decision. Our, their decision was made before the trial ever got there, much like Daniel in chapter 1, who had already purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. These, these young men in their minds had seen the eventuality of this type of situation, and they had already, had already made the decision in their hearts, when I am faced with that, I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to give in to idolatry. And our, so our hearts are already made up, O king. He said, and who is the God that's going to deliver you? Our God is able. Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and from your hand. They had conviction. They had a firmly held belief in God. <clears throat> but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. But if God's purpose is not to save us from this fiery furnace, if it's God's desire that we perish here, so be it. We will put our trust in God because we know that He will ultimately deliver us. But if, it, if it's His will that we perish here, so be it. But we're still not going to worship your gods. We're not going to disobey God. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He cannot believe that they put more fear and trust in their God than they do in Him, the mighty King that He is, the Almighty that He sees Himself as. And so He is infuriated that they are not, they are not bowing down to His will, to His desire, that they, they value something else greater, that there's something else that's greater and they do not fear Him because they trust God. <clears throat> and He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Or they, he said, you make that fire as hot as it can be. <clears throat> and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were standing there listening and watching to what's happened. He's turning up the heat, so to speak. The heat's being turned up. The pressure on them is greater. He's trying to strike fear in their hearts of what he's going to do to them, but they are persistent in their faith. They don't care. It doesn't matter. You can destroy the body, Jesus said, but don't fear those who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't fear man, but you fear God, and you put your trust in God. And that's what these young men did. Again, we, but we read the verse in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings 
that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. Sometimes we're going to have to go through the fire, but but the Lord tells us when you come through the fire on the other side, you're going to glorify God and you're going to rejoice in God's God's, uh, providence. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And Nebuchadnezzar commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their trousers and their turbans and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fire. So they just, in all their clothes, they just grabbed them, they, they bound them up, and they threw, they threw them into the fire. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The, the flame was so hot, the heat was so great, that the men who approached, who got close enough to throw them in, were consumed. They themselves were killed. <clears throat> Logic would tell you that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were gonna, they were going to be just incinerated immediately, thrown into that furnace. And that's certainly what Nebuchadnezzar thought. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show these people around you, around you that you will not defy me, was Nebuchadnezzar's thought. Who is the God, he said, who will deliver you from my hand? And then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. (laughs) So Nebuchadnezzar's watching this. He sees his own men perish. He sees them thrown headlong into the fire. And he's watching to see the, the, uh, the, the cinders come up, to see their ashes come up from the fire. But as he's watching, he's astonished. Because what he's, what he's seeing is not at all what he expected. Did we cat, not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? He's talking to those around. Didn't we cast three people into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he said, Look, I see four men loose and walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is likened to the Son of God. <clears throat> there are some amazing miracles that God performs in the book of Daniel. <clears throat> And if you think about it, those things were needed. Those things were needed. God was preserving his people. God was going to demonstrate, manifest his power to those who were faithful to him at a time that it was most needful. The Jewish people being, feeling so defeated, being taken into captivity in a strange land and facing persecution, and God demonstrates with great power who is really in control. Who is really in control of the situation is him. <clears throat> and Nebuchadnezzar sees firsthand the power of God. <laughs> There's nothing in all of science or logic that would tell you what he has just seen as possible. He knows it's impossible. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2, probably a verse that these young men were familiar with. When God, when God through Isaiah spoke to the children of Israel about the coming, the coming time that they were going to be taken captive, but also giving them words of comfort, he said, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. So, in a very miraculous way, God truly fulfilled his promise that he had made through Isaiah in a very miraculous way. And when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the flame, expecting to see the ashes, he saw these men unheard and walking about in the furnace, being untouched by the flames. But there's someone else in there with them, isn't there? You know, we think about the words of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? That should give us great courage. Seeing the power of God demonstrated through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should give us great courage as Christians. That though we're going to go through those trials, those we're going to go through the fire that he's going to be there with us. Through him we will prevail. Through him we will endure. Do not fear. Then Nebuchadnezzar went to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire, unhurt, untouched by the flames. And the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. So here they all came together, the to talk about in this thing they had just witnessed, this miraculous thing that had just occurred. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power, so they were examining them. Here were Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and they all gathered around them, and they're examining them. How did they go into that furnace and come out untouched? The hair of their head was not even singed, nor were the garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not. So they even smelled of them. They don't even smell like fire. They were untouched, completely untouched, completely protected from the fiery trial that they went through. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What did Peter say about coming through those trials? Coming through those trials is going to bring glory to God. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faithfulness bring? It brought glory to God. On the part of a pagan king, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies, and that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. So this, did, this, was, this was a mighty thing. This, was, this had a great impact on Nebuchadnezzar and, and witnessing the power of God, so that now he's praising the God the only true God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's bringing glory to God. Therefore, I make a decree. God's preserving his people. God is preserving. Seventy years are going to be in captivity. What happens early on? This event happens early on. And what does Nebuchadnezzar say about those Jewish people and their worship? I'd make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces their houses shall made an ash, be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Guess what? Preservation. 
<clears throat> the Jewish people were going to be in, in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, but during that time, they were going to be able to worship God. There would be some level of persecution, but it would not be near to the extent. They would know that they could never be compelled to worship an idol in this foreign land. God was preserving them. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What happened at the end of chapter 1? Daniel and his fellows were found to be more useful in all wisdom and knowledge before the king. In chapter 2, they all receive a promotion. <clears throat> After God demonstrates his power through Daniel in chapter 3, what happens at the end? Again, they receive a promotion. God is glorified and they are promoted. They, are, they rejoice in this <clears throat> that's the end of chapter 3 I hope it's been something that's encouraging to you I hope it will, it will help each of us as we go through those trials that will ultimately come to us as Christians to stand true to God to stand against the tide to trust God and to not fear in those times if we can